The Phoenix Theatre and Arts Company's audio drama series presents The Sibling Isabella's Love is No Myth, a tale of ancient Greek myths in two parts. Written and directed by Jenna Isabella and John Isabella III. For past episodes, upcoming events, and other information, make sure to visit our website at phoenixtheaterartsco.com. That's theater with an R-E. Without further ado, we give you Love is No Myth, Part 2. In the realm of the gods and the realm of men, the goddess Demeter's sorrow was evident everywhere. Her daughter Persephone had been taken from her to the underworld. She had no idea whether her daughter was all right or whether she was being treated cruelly by Hades. The only thing Demeter knew for certain was that she missed her daughter terribly. Her sorrow caused all crops to wither and die, shadowing the realm of mortals in famine and death. For you see, Demeter was the goddess of agriculture and made all things grow and bear fruit. But she would never venture into the land of the underworld. Um, why are you recapping? I know all that, and you kept me waiting for like two weeks! I want to hear the rest of the story! Dionysus, it's called exposition, and it helps remind us of the stories of our fellow gods and goddesses and the ways in which their stories weave together throughout the realms. Anyway, because famine had struck the land of the people and they were suffering, they looked to the prophets and priests of gods, hoping that the gods would fix this problem if they were offered a proper sacrifice. One such woman, a priestess of Zeus, by the name of Samil, was dedicated to her cause and offered sacrifices to please the gods. Wait, is that... You'll just have to wait and see. Uh, where was I? Um, oh, yes. Samil could often be found making sacrifices to the god of the sky. It was through these actions that had caught Zeus's eye. And after one such offering, Zeus appeared to Samil in the form of a humble mortal. Hello, weary traveler. Are you here to provide your offering to Zeus so he will shower his blessings down upon you? I would rather shower you with praise, fair lady. Who are you? Fair lady, it is I, Zeus, the king of the gods. You may present yourself to me, for I have many blessings to shower upon you. Oh, powerful one, I am yours. Zeus wasted no time in showering his blessings down upon Samil. The love they shared while wrapped in one another's arms was powerful. Their cries of passion echoed through the sky and up into the heavens. Hermes? What in Tartarus am I listening to? I do believe that's the sound of a mortal woman in a, uh, oh, um, in the middle of a rather, uh, heated discussion with Zeus. And what does that mean? Uh, I, I don't know. I why do you keep asking me about this? Leave now! Leave now. Hera, having finally caught Zeus in the act of being unfaithful, began to plot how she would deal with this. Hera could not decide on a proper punishment because she always turned red with rage whenever she listened to their indiscretion. Zeus and Samil met frequently over the next several months, and before long, Samil realized she was with child. Upon discovering this, Hera finally decided on a course of action and appeared before Samil. Hello, faithful priestess. Oh my gods! The Queen of Olympus has come to me! To what do I owe the pleasure? 
I came to express my gratitude to you. You have been a faithful priestess to my husband Zeus for a long time now, and I wanted to commend you on your actions. Oh, Hera, please forgive me. Forgive you for what, my dear? For spending nights with your husband and satisfying him to such a degree that he no longer has use for his beloved spouse. Hera managed to swallow her anger, for she had something far better planned than to lash out at Samil. Oh, if you are referring to the mortal who has been pretending to be my faithful husband, then believe me, you will need no forgiveness from me. Pretending? No, I am certain that the man was my lord, Zeus. Is that what he told you? My dear, he is an imposter. If he were truly my beloved husband, then surely you would have seen his true divine nature, no? I... no. He always came to me as a mortal because he said no one could look upon his true form. That is exactly the sort of thing an imposter would say. He has no proof, just his word. And what good is the word of a liar? Well, how am I to know for sure who he is? Demand to see this Zeus in his divine form. Make him swear by the river Styx, for no god can break an oath sworn in that manner. Then after he is vowed, demand to see his divine form. That is the only way to know for sure. Why, thank you, Great One. How can I ever repay you for your wise advice? My advice I freely give to you. I wouldn't want a poor young girl such as yourself to be lied to and end up getting hurt. That wouldn't be right. Wouldn't be right. Wouldn't be right. As Hera departed, a smile drew upon her lips, knowing that the demise of Samil and her unborn child would finally teach Zeus a lesson. It wasn't long before Zeus visited Samil again, but as he approached her, Samil asked him if he was happy and if he would do anything for her. Do I make you happy, my lord Zeus? Oh yes, you make me very happy. My lord, I have a favor to ask of you. Then by all means, ask away. I will happily grant any wish within my power to you. Really? Promise me you will. Swear it by the River Styx. I swear by the River Styx. I will do whatever you ask. I want you to show me your true divine form. Uh, but, Semele, I really don't... You swore to me by the River Styx. But... Now show me your true form. As Zeus had sworn to grant whatever was asked of him, he was compelled to comply with Samuel's wish. He therefore revealed himself as the mighty lord of the universe, accompanied by thunder and lightning. Samuel was overjoyed at seeing Zeus in this manner, but could not help but notice a saddened look upon the <sighs> god's face as she gazed upon Zeus's true form. Samuel's body was consumed in flames, for no mortal can look upon the true splendor of a god in all their divine glory. As Samuel perished in the devouring flames, Zeus snatched the child in her womb and sewed the child to his thigh until it was ready to be born. Why does this keep happening to me? Keep happening to me. Shut up, you. Nearby, Demeter watched as Zeus limped his way out of the small home and began his journey to Olympus. All this time, Demeter still wandered the mortal realm, longing for her daughter and missing her profusely. The whole world felt the influence of her grief. This was indeed a terrible year for mankind. 
Demeter no longer smiled on the earth she was wont to bless, and though the mortals sowed the grain and the groaning oxen ploughed the fields, no harvest rewarded their labour. All was a barren, dreary desolation. One day as she wandered, she noticed a maiden washing clothes in the river. Demeter was immediately drawn to her, because although the rest of the world seemed to be in a perpetual mourning, this young nymph was happily humming to herself as she worked. Suddenly, the girl noticed the sad and sullen Demeter and called to her. Oh, hello there. Isn't the river beautiful? Yes, I suppose. It's, it's, it's difficult to notice beauty when your heart is so heavy. Oh no, what's the matter? Just as Demeter began to turn away, the nymph said, oh, Wait, please don't go. You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. But let me take you to my home. We don't have much, but I can offer you a warm meal, a place by our hearth, oh, and the uplifting music my husband plays. Is that the song you were humming before? <laughs> I didn't even realize I was humming. Anyway, my name is Eurydice, and I can speak for both Orpheus and myself when I say we would be delighted to welcome you into our home this evening. Eurydice led Demeter into her home. Upon entering, Demeter was welcomed with the aroma of supper cooking over an open fire and gentle music that filled the room. Come right in and warm yourself by the fire. Oh, don't mind him. That's just Orpheus, my husband. Orpheus was a renowned musician. It was said he was the son of Apollo and Calliope, for whenever he played a song, he could enchant those around him. When he sang to the sweet tones of his lyre, he charmed all nature and summoned round him the wild beasts of the forest, who, under the influence of his music, became tame and gentle as lambs. The madly rushing torrents stopped their rapid course, and the very mountains and trees moved from their places towards the sound of his entrancing melodies. Orpheus, darling, this is my new friend. Come and say hello to... Oh, no. Don't stop playing on my account. The gentle strummings of Orpheus's lyre quelled the fury within Demeter and seemed to take her out of her haze. Demeter finally realized that her inactions had brought hardship and suffering to the mortal realm. By failing to perform her duties, happy homes and families such as these were in trouble. And she thought to herself, What have I done? Eurydice and Orpheus greeted each other warmly, completely oblivious to the goddess's moment of self-discovery. Hello, dearest. I'm so happy you're home. And with a guest. Any friend of yours is a friend of mine. Orpheus said this as he warmly embraced his wife. It was obvious that Orpheus fondly loved Eurydice and that she was no less attached to him. In spite of the families that ravaged the land, their married life was full of joy and happiness. Come, sit by the fire while I prepare us some food. While this happy scene unfolded, Hera had been looking on, eager to make good on her vow on Mount Catharin that all nymphs would meet their doom at her hand. She began to plot Eurydice's demise. She summoned a venomous snake and concealed it in the long grass near the river. The next day, when Eurydice went down to draw water, she was bitten, ah! the poison spreading quickly through her body. Orpheus and Demeter heard the nymphs cry and immediately ran outside. Upon seeing the serpent, Orpheus attacked, crushing the snake's head in a single blow. Demeter instantly spotted the distant figure of Hera laughing as she ascended into the heavens. My love, I cannot live without you. We will find each other one day in Tartarus. I can't just let you slip away. No, no, Eurydice, no, don't leave me. Eurydice died of that wound and her mourning husband filled the groves and valleys with his piteous and unceasing lamentations. 
Beginning to feel sorrow for her host, Demeter decided to reveal her true identity to Orpheus in an attempt to comfort him. I have not been honest with you, and you have been such a gracious host to me. I am not a simple traveler. I am actually the goddess, Demeter. Learning the truth, Orpheus fell to his knees. Then you must have the power to help my wife. Please restore her to me. I do not have the power to bring your wife back. But then, how can I save her? I just want to look upon her smiling face once again. Demeter thought for a second, before grimacing. The only god who has the power to bring your wife back to life is Hades. Please, speak with him. My wife didn't deserve to die so suddenly. (laughs) I am not on speaking terms with Hades. But I can see to it that you gain access to the underworld. After that... You will have to talk with Hades directly. Oh, thank you, gracious one. With that, Demeter returned to Mount Olympus to speak with Zeus. She was granted permission to show Orpheus an entrance to the underworld, but the discussion about returning Persephone to her was much lengthier and far more complicated in nature. For you see, while Persephone did not wish to go to the underworld at first, Hades' affection and devotion soon proved how much he loved her. And during Persephone's time in the underworld, she had grown to love Hades as well. Though Persephone still longed to return to Olympus to see her mother, she was very happy in the underworld at Hades' side. This happy couple resided in the most unhappy place any mortal could ever go, and Orpheus was one such mortal. I will brave all the horrors of the underworld in order to seek an audience with the god of death and beg him to restore my beloved wife. As Orpheus descended into the depths of Tartarus, he strummed his golden lyre. Its heavenly music steeled his nerves and heralded his arrival. All who heard his song, for but a moment, forgot their sorrow and torment. Sisyphus ceased to roll his rock back up the hill. Tantalus forgot his perpetual thirst. Ixion's wheel halted in its revolution, and even the Furies shed tears, and withheld for a time their persecutions. Undismayed at scenes of horror and suffering which met Orpheus's view on every side, he pursued his way until he arrived at the palace of Hades. He knelt before the king and queen of the underworld. Your majesties, I beseech you, allow me to play for you this song. I bear a broken heart, my world's been torn apart. Eurydice, my love, was taken from above. Now she walks the lonely way. So I come for her today. That was a beautiful moving song, but you must continue to live your life as she would have wanted. Do not dwell on those who have crossed the river Styx. Beloved, since I have been by your side, I have known great love, and until now I did not think mortals could understand the depths of such true love. This mortal holds in his heart the purest and truest love. Could you imagine if I was taken from you with no hope of return? That would be a fate far worse than death. Then can we not find some way to answer his plea? For me, dearest, please. Only for you, my love. You. You said her name was Eurydice, yes? Indeed, Lord Hades. Very well. I will grant your request. 
However, be warned, as you lead her spirit back to the mortal world, do not look upon her. Even seeing the slightest glimpse of her bodiless soul while within the borders of Tartarus will prevent her return. Orpheus was overjoyed with the news. He fell to his knees once more and thanked the god and goddess of the underworld profusely. Then the ferryman led Eurydice to Orpheus, and with his back to his beloved, Orpheus began to lead her from the depths of Tartarus and back to their home. Persephone and Hades watched as they began their journey. That was very noble of you, my love. All mortals will eventually end up here. They should be allowed to enjoy their fleeting time with the ones they love for as long as they can. Knowing that he could not turn back to see his wife, Orpheus called to her. Eurydice, my dear, soon we will be home. You are still there, aren't you? Eurydice? Eurydice? She did not answer him, and Orpheus began to panic, wondering if Hades had been truthful with him. What if I never get another opportunity to rescue her from the dismal place? What if I cross over and she is still not there? Just before he crossed back into the mortal world, unable to take the torment, Orpheus turned to see if Eurydice was behind him. In the moment he saw her, she vanished from his sight. No! What have I done? The grief of Orpheus at this second loss was even more intense than before, and now he avoided all human society. In vain did the nymphs, his once chosen companions, endeavor to win him back to his accustomed haunts. Their power to charm was gone, and music was now his sole consolation. Demeter finally learned of Orpheus and Eurydice's fate. Though she was saddened at first, the story convinced her that she needed to find a way to bring Persephone home. With a new sense of determination, Demeter headed back to the entrance of the underworld with all her might. Summon Persephone. Persephone! Do you hear something? Persephone! Is that my mother? It can't be! Persephone! Oh, mother! How I've missed her. You have? But... But I thought you were happy here. Oh, I have been. I mean, I am. But I can't deny that I've missed my mother. She was my only companion, my only friend for so long, and I haven't seen her ages. Oh, poor mother. She must be so lonely. I must go to her. Wait, Persephone. Uh, take these before you go. What are these? Pomegranate seeds. Why do I need these? I thought you said we shouldn't eat in the underworld. Just promise me you'll eat them before you leave this realm. Why? Just promise me, please. Okay, I promise. And so Persephone began her ascent to the entrance of the underworld, eager to see her mother after such a long absence. Hades, why did you give her those seeds? Because I can't risk losing her, and if she eats them, she will have to stay here forever. Don't you know that she loves you? How can I really believe that? Anyone that's been in your presence can attest to the love that you share. Go to her before it's too late, and you lose her trust forever. If she cannot see her mother again because of my meddling, she'll never be able to love me. And so Hades rushed after his wife. He reached her just as she was nearing the entrance of Tartarus. Persephone, wait! Hades, what are you doing? Don't eat the seeds. What? Why? I made a mistake. Go to your mother. Just don't eat those seeds. Hades, I don't understand. What's wrong with the seeds? 
If you eat the seeds, they will prevent you from leaving. I don't want to keep you from seeing your mother because I don't want to get in the way of anything that would bring you happiness. I can't be selfish here because your happiness is more important to me than anything else in this realm. Please forgive me. Before Persephone could say anything, Demeter, who had been watching this whole scene, made her presence known. Persephone, don't listen to him. Mother? Oh, my dear. All this time I was so worried you were unhappy. But now I see how much you are loved. Hades, I misjudged your intentions with my daughter. I have missed her so, but seeing her happiness with you and your kindness towards her has bought me much joy. Demeter, this means the world to me. But I know Persephone has missed you and, and should be able to see you. I love you both, but I think there might be a third solution. I think the almighty god of thunder might be able to help. Suddenly, thunder and lightning struck, and Zeus appeared before them. Ladies, it is I, Zeus, the king of the gods. You may present yourselves to me. You, Dad? And what is going on with your thigh? Oh, sorry, honey. I'm not used to being summoned by family. And, uh, don't worry about that. Okay, well, we need your help. I wish to be able to see my husband and my mother. Hades, what's the rule with food in the underworld? When you eat food in the underworld, you may never leave. Show me those seeds in your hand, Persephone. How many are there? Twelve. One for every month of the year. Eat only six, Persephone. And then you will be able to cross into the realm of mortals and be with your mother for six months. And in those months, you and Demeter will restore the crops and harvest. The earth will be reborn. Will she ever be able to return to Tartarus? Of course. The other six months she will spend with you. And when she returns, Demeter, you will withdraw and the world will once again experience the cold weather and the crops will lay dormant, preparing to produce a new harvest in the next, uh, season. Hades, Persephone, and Demeter all looked around at one another with smiles on their faces. They could not deny that solution was logical and would make an acceptable compromise for all. Father, you have made me very happy. With that, Persephone ate the six seeds, and Zeus brought them back to his celestial kingdom in one swift moment. There was much celebrating, and their cheers could be heard echoing through the whole of Olympus. Wahoo! Hooray! Well yippee! done, me. Good job. Hooray! Wahoo! Yippee! I swear to myself, when I get my hands on you again, Echo, I will end you. Echo, end you. Echo, and you. Echo, and you. Now, all this excitement made Zeus begin his labor, for he still had the child of Samil sewn in his thigh. Oh, gods. Oh, us. Ugh, why me? Why me? That is the day when peace was made between the gods. And to toast that peace, Everyone drank the finest wine and celebrated in festival style. And so the child born that day became the god of wine and festivities. Everything has been right on Mount Olympus since that day. Your birthday, Dionysus. 
I'm confused. So this whole story was just so you could tell me I was born out of Zeus's leg. Well, you had to understand all of the love and passion that drove people into action. The story was too long. You could have just told me the short version. You could have just said that I was a leg baby and that would have been enough. That doesn't make a very interesting story. I could have told you that I was born after your grandfather castrated one of his brothers and threw their genitals into the sea, allowing me to emerge from the sea foam. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Can you tell me more? I would, but didn't you just say you prefer the short version of stories? All you need to know is that love is what fuels people, both gods and mortals alike. It brings new life. It makes us seek out companionship. It causes us to sing joyfully and to cry out despairingly into ravines, only to be rewarded by the sound of a voice calling back. Love is what makes the seasons change and keeps the world moving forward. People will go to the ends of this world and the next for love. Without love, we have nothing. Wouldn't you agree? Whatever you say, Aphrodite. Whatever you say, Aphrodite. Etax Audio Drama Series is a production by the Phoenix Theatre and Arts Company. This week's episode, Love is No Myth Part 2, was written, directed, and edited by Jenna Isabella and John Isabella III. This episode features the vocal talents of Kim Smith as the narrator, Aphrodite, David Nielsen as Zeus, Nicole McQuaid as Hera, Ryan Snanouge as Dionysus, Hermes, and Chiron, Rachel Zenhausern as Echo, Kevin Arthur as Orpheus, Leslie Bacon as Eurydice, Ted Schwartz as Hades, Angelique Joseph as Demeter, Jennifer Wallace as Persephone, and Diana DeMarco as Samil. Song to Eurydice, composed and played by Kevin Arthur. Original PTAC music by Brian Sanishin. For a full listing of credits, visit us at phoenixtheaterartsco.com. That's theater with an R-E. While you're there, please consider clicking the donate link. That would be delightful. Have comments or questions? Email us at phoenixtheaterartsco at gmail.com or find us on social media. A very special thank you to our Patreon subscribers with a shout out to those sitting in the box seats, Ken Shelby and onstage seating, Margaret Thurston. We couldn't do this without you. Join us next time for The Secret Garden, part one.